Hi there, this is Julia Morales, and you're listening to Strohs Across the Globe. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 10 of Strohs Across the Globe, the podcast presenting an international view on the Houston Astros, brought to you in association with Apollo as part of the Apollo Podcast Network. All Houston, all original. I'm your host George Martin, also known as at Astros Fans UK on Twitter and similarly on other platforms. As you will have heard in the intro, today's guest is one I am just so thrilled to have on the show for you. This month marks Women's History Month with International Women's Day earlier this very week and by chance rather than design, it coincides with my being able to speak with a lady who is not just one of the best women in baseball or what she does, but one of the very best full stop, the incredible Julia Morales. I had been trying to have her as a guest on the show for quite a while and let me say it was absolutely worth the wait as you will shortly hear. As for the Astros, spring training rolls on a pace and in the wake of Framber Valdez's injury, confirmed timeout still unknown as of yet, it was good news that of the eight pitchers sidelined through COVID protocol, only one has tested positive. So get well soon to our new man Pedro Baez. Speaking of new men, the club acted quickly after Framber's injury to bring in Jake Odorizzi on a deal for two years with a player option for a third. Odorizzi has a working relationship already with the returning Jason Castro from their time together on the Minnesota Twins, and if Odorizzi can deliver 2019-level numbers, this could end up being a very shrewd move by James Click, especially if Framber Valdez comes back sooner than feared to be out for. Back to today's show and what is a fantastic conversation I had with Julia Morales. We start off by taking a look at what Houston means to Houstonians following the damaging recent winter storm, before getting a superbly in-depth look at not only her Astros game day routine as field reporter, but also how the job works and what she looks to bring to the role with her superbly professional presentation. We assess how she deals with the challenges of such a demanding live position and how it connects with the rest of the club's media, before contrasting this with the 2020 pandemic-affected season's demands and what the subsequent return of fans to ballparks in 2020. 21 will mean. After this, Julie gives her views on what she expects from the 2021 edition of the Houston Astros on the field, and this is followed by a fascinating journey back to how her interest in a broadcasting career began, her influences, and the advice she would give to women looking to follow in her footsteps in what is still a male-dominated arena. We also evaluate the state of the landscape for women working in baseball and what the sport can do to make positive change. Also on the show, find out who has won the awesome H-Town vs. Everyone t-shirt from Apollo, so plenty to be staying tuned for today, I assure you. It keeps on coming and I'll keep on saying it. Delighted by more positive feedback for Strohs Across the Globe. Please make sure after you listen that you subscribe, rate and review Strohs Across the Globe on the podcast platform to which you listen to it. Please do keep up the tremendous support and spread the word. Right, now without any further ado, it's time for my discussion with Julia Morales, one of the Houston Astros' absolute best assets, a keystone to the superb broadcasting team. This is a really enjoyable one. Right, I am truly thrilled to have an extremely special guest on the show for you today, one who I'm very eager to not only break down all things Astros with, but also to get more of an insight into her superb broadcasting career so far. Now in her ninth year working with the club, she's the Astros field reporter for AT&T Sportsnet Southwest, the incredible, ultra-professional first lady of the Houston Astros, the one and only Julia Morales. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. How are you? 
I'm so good. What an intro. I'm blushing. That was very, very kind of you. <laughs> Least I can do. Honestly, uh, I think I speak for all Astros fans around the world in wanting to show their admiration for how you present the club on such an incredible day-by-day basis. And it's something which we are very grateful for. I think first point, before we get into anything baseball related, that winter storm. Now, I just was catching up with a story which uh, you'd retweeted from Araskina on Twitter. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that is something horrifying to, to put it mildly I mean for a, a new mother to go through how are you feeling I'm good now you know it's Texas weather so as soon as those freezing temperatures decided to leave town it was 77 degrees outside so you know we're back to normal things feel normal and I just had a lot of repairs done in the house we had busted pipes along with everybody else I think in Houston and you know it's crazy I am the first one to make light of our inability to handle cold weather or bad weather or you know I mean just living especially in Houston we just don't get snow we barely get freezing temperatures and I even made fun of myself before this whole thing started I've got a lovely hibiscus uh, plant a couple of them outside of my house and and it's so tropical here uh, that they love it and and they're beautiful and a couple years ago I think it hit 31 degrees and it killed my hibiscus I was so upset about it. Um, you know, it takes forever for it to come back. Finally, they're all blooming. Things are great. And so I hear about this freeze coming. I'm like, not this time. It's not going to happen this time. So I wrap them all. We wrap our pipes, you know, because everyone takes it so seriously when it does mm-hmm. freeze. We just, because we don't, are, you know, we're not built for it. Our houses aren't built for it. Our animals are not, you know, they, they can't handle it. And so there are a ton of warnings that go out. And so we prepared what we didn't know was that we were all going to lose electricity and that we weren't mm-hmm. going to have running water. And that's where um, things got really dangerous. You know, day one, we were survived, surviving. Day two was like, okay, this is very uncomfortable and annoying. And, and then day three started to get very serious and the, and the water situation got very serious. So that was a week, a week long uh, situation for some of us in Houston that were without. And, and I'm doing so much better. Thanks for even asking. But yeah, I know <laughs> Astros fans that might be listening, uh, a lot of us kind of went through hell and back this past week. I'm very glad to hear that you were able to sort of be on the mend, so to speak, in terms of just from a, a general perspective, because as a, a fellow parent, I can only imagine what you guys went through. And especially when you look at the larger picture in terms of, let's not forget, Harvey was not that long ago. Harvey was only, what, mm-hmm. just over three and a half years ago. And yeah. I think, I mean, Houston's gone through something special in terms of both extremes of the weather there. I mean, what I was going to ask in respect of that, and particularly in relation to how the community has even from abroad, you can see how the community gathered together and has has supported each other through two very different disasters. What does Houston mean to Houstonians as someone who's been there for so long? Can you just try and sum that up? Because I have listeners from all around the world for this podcast. So it's not just necessarily people in Houston that are big Astros fans. And I'd love to be able to give a picture of that to other people. Yeah, it's, it's, an extremely large city for one, uh, just so many people and it's a very diverse city and we're very proud of that. And, and we're proud of all the, the people that come from not just all over the, the country and the state, but all over the world that live in the city and, and, and they fall in love with it for so many different reasons. And, and like you mentioned, there's been some kind of event almost every year since I've been here covering the Astros and even, you know, especially back to 2015, there's been at least a, a major flood uh, that, that comes down and it just doesn't affect downtown Houston. It affects all the surrounding mm. areas, all down to the Gulf coast. I mean, we call all that Houston. I mean, it's, it's all of us, you know, that's our whole yeah. community all the way down to the, to the ocean. So um, there's just so many people that, that it affects when things like this happen. But what's been incredible is the, uh, 
you know, how we help each other out so quickly and we are willing to open up our homes. You know, we are Southerners and Texans at the end of the day and we love to help each other and we're very Mm. friendly. And you see that, that, that happens so quickly, just like it did with this freeze. I mean, I was jumping from house to house and who has power, who has water and Mm. everyone was willing to open their homes. And so were Astros fans that didn't know me, you know, obviously knew of me, but were willing to meet me with water. I've got a big truck. I can drive it over to you on the frozen roads. They were just so willing to help. And, and that's what I notice every time that something like this happens. You mentioned Harvey, but there, it's just every year there's been something uh, really horrible that's happened to the community that we've had to kind of rebuild and put ourselves back together. Uh, but we, you know, we keep on keeping on, as I like to say, <laughs> in my Texans accent, you know, in my Texas accent, yeah. it's just a, uh, it, it's a really neat city and we love it very much. And, and we know that hurricanes are always, uh, you know, it's a, around the corner as far as when the season comes and, and we're ready for it every year. Um, that doesn't scare us. We don't back down. Um, it's just, we just rebuild, like I said, and, and we put ourselves back together and, and, and we do it together. That's, that's, that's my favorite part about living here. Yeah, it's, it's a very admirable quality for a community to have. I'm part of the group Apollo Media, which mm-hmm. is a Houston-based yeah. sports group. And uh, they did a 24-hour stream over the last few days, which they managed to raise. I think it was, uh, forgive me, guys, if I'm getting the number wrong, it was around $9,500. And that's just, you know, that's to sort of divvy up and split amongst people who are, have been hit the hardest by what's happened. And that's incredible. I mean, that is something which I think is is truly inspirational and it's not you know it's not just Apollo that have been doing that obviously uh, if you're looking back at other disasters as well what Mattress Mac does over there as well and I think yep. it's, it's this is the kind of spirit which I, I love to see I, I'm still yet to get to Houston for the first time despite being an Astros fan for such a long period and I really really hope that what I was hoping to make it this year for the first time but uh, it looks like just COVID related I think it's more likely to be next year yeah. and I really can't wait to sort of you know sample that hospitality and just feel that togetherness yeah. with people who uh, I get on with so well from afar I think well, there's it's, um, a lot you need to do though like there's a whole list of things oh that you yeah need to do <laughs> I, will, I will call you up on that I'll definitely be uh, asking for a whole ream of suggestions <laughs> of, of uh, and essential places I know, I've to got go. restaurants I've got I mean we've got it all we're there's oh, a, yeah. a lot that you need to do yes for sure. I can't <laughs> wait let's move on to what you do with the Astros and uh, as a field reporter as I was saying at the start you are ultra professional you manage to deal with all sorts of different situations that are thrown at you as they happen live during a game I was wondering firstly what's your let's go back pre-covid what's your game day routine how do you approach getting ready for a game and how does it all work how do you deal with that yeah it's definitely a unique job and uh, you know there's only 30 30 of them obviously but then uh, you know even from there not every sideline reporter field reporter whatever you want to call us uh is the same and and some teams don't even have them. So I say there's there's 30 teams, but there's not even 30 jobs. Um, what's been special to me is, is when I started in 2013, I had a, a group that was willing to bring me in and and make make me a part of it. I mean, I, I'm not just someone that jumps in and, and gives you a story once every four innings. It's, mm. They were really welcoming to me, and I and I thank Bill Brown for that, who you know was the voice of the Astros for so yep. long. He was so quick to to introduce me to fans to kind of put me out there uh you know whether I was ready or not my mic would be open just kind of that banter where people got to know me 
and in the hardcore fans too those were tough years to watch and they were tough not yeah. not only because of what the product on the field was doing but also distribution and it, it just wasn't a lot of people that could even get Astros games so mm. those who were, were were tuning in were starting to get to know us and and then getting to know us as a broadcast team so having said that you know my my days are busy and they're long uh, but there's so much fun because and you, you can what you see is is really what what I feel and and what is going on with me I you hear me laugh a lot during the broadcast so we have a lot of fun we jab at each other and it's truly because we love this job so much and, and you have to you have mm. to, to to stay in baseball for as long as we have you know it's just you have to absolutely love the game and, and love the people that you're around so for me, you know, it takes a little bit usually to get uh, in the swing of things when the season starts, because it is such a jolt coming from an off season where there's just not a lot going on baseball wise. We cover things, but for our network, we're not, it's not an everyday thing. Um, you know, if there's, there's some news and notes, I'll jump on it, of course, but that's, you know, that's, it's very simple compared to what happens when spring training starts. Usually I'm at spring training three to four weeks. Uh, spread out in there. I'll, I'll do mm. some sit downs early on and then we'll do the broadcast later on this year. We'll, we'll do them from the studio, unfortunately. So maybe yeah. West Palm beach next year, but, um, but yeah, that's, that kind of usually gets me going. Uh, and, and then once the season starts, it's just, it takes about a month for me to, to wake up in the morning and not feel like I'm hungover. And I haven't mm. had anything to drink, but it's just that long, like beat down of a day you kind of hit the hit the bed. You're you don't even know what time it is, and you, your alarm goes off, and it all kind of starts back over again. And I know um, anyone that works in baseball kind of knows that feeling. But there is a point in the season early on too, uh, where all of a sudden you don't notice it anymore, and it's just what you do. And people think we're crazy because we don't have weekends. We work through holidays. We're on West Coast. We're on East Coast, <laughs> wherever mm, it may be. Um, and and your body just adjusts and it, it knows what to do. So you know back to your original question that's all kind of setting up what a typical yeah. day for me is like and I usually to the ballpark for you know say 7 10 first pitch I'm usually there anywhere between one two o'clock um depending on what we have going on that day sometimes I shoot a, a weekly show that needs to be done a little bit earlier sometimes I have early interviews with the manager maybe a player maybe a nice sit down that takes a little bit longer so all that's done early clubhouse opens around 3 30 so by that point I've I've sat down, I've dropped my stuff off. I've taken my notes. I've, I've checked the lineup to see who's in or out. I've checked with my producer to see if there's anything that we need uh, for that day. And then, you know, then you're in the, the clubhouse, you're in there for the amount of time that they let you in there. And I'm waiting for players and I'm, I'm just, you know, talking to the, the pitcher for the next day. So I'm already working ahead on, on what the next game is going to be like and, and some of my storylines there. And um, you're, you're kind of following the news. And then you also want to be there in case there is any news that breaks while you're in there. Is someone limping their way into the clubhouse or limping their way out? Or, you know, maybe there's a new player that shows up that they haven't announced yet. All that um, is going on in that clubhouse hour. And then the manager talks. And then after that, it's, you know, I'm on, I'm on the field for BP. So I'm definitely sometimes following stories. Sometimes I'm chatting with the other side, uh, the other manager that all starts to happen. Um, ch chatting with writers, uh, maybe setting up some interviews and somewhere in there, I got to eat dinner. <laughs> There's a dinner break ish. I, I scarf down some food. I talk to producers again, and then it's, it's time to to hang out with with Jeff Blum and Todd Callis and, and start to put our stories together and, and our ideas together and, and figure out how we're going to open the show. I have pregame starts at 630. I'm live for that. The game starts at seven and then the show begins. And um, and I'm there until the end. Obviously, I'm there for the walk off interview uh, post game. And I'm also there for the manager. And then we go back into the clubhouse and 
And so, you know, nights where, where big things happen, I could be in there for a while, given that, you know, if the star of the show, or maybe there was five stars of the show, I'm going to stick around until they, they get showered, dressed, treatment. Um, sometimes that takes a while. So they're long days, like I mentioned. I mean, it could be midnight before I get home. Um, but didn't that sound fun? I mean, you know, it was just yeah. it's, it's a fun day. It's a fun full day every day. I mean, this is exactly what I'm doing this show for because I had Alex Dehan, the former astronaut photographer, on the last show, and he was describing his day and similarly sort of extremely fast paced. And you just see this whole product behind the scenes of what puts that finished picture on our screens and delivers the broadcast into wherever we may be catching it. And I love to hear that. I mean, that's what I'm trying to do with who I'm speaking to on this show. I'm trying to give a, a few of, um, it was a quote from Kevin Goldstein a couple of shows ago where he'd said about how the sausage is made. So it's like kind of that, how that kind of behind yeah. the scenes and, and it's, it's a rather funny analogy, but it kind of works because looking at all these different parts of the puzzle that go together, it's incredible because if one piece doesn't work, then there's a big problem. So uh, it, right. just linking with what Alex told me, how much link up did you have with that side of things? Because social media obviously has a connection to what you're dealing with in terms of delivering in-game reports to people online. And like, obviously they have their side of things. Was there much crossover there? As far as the stuff that he's doing and I'm um, doing? Yeah, because he, he said that he like with the photography that he was doing, that he'd be ready to get a shot on to social media within two minutes of the right. shot being taken and naturally I sort of feel like there must be some kind of connection like guessing between the two hemispheres if you like so yeah I mean sometimes yeah when it comes to social media I mean there are there I have a, a view and he has a view I, Alex is a great mm -hmm. is is one of the few people that can understand me and I can understand him because we are two of very few people that get the best seat in the house and that's the one right next to the dugout and mm. uh, hopefully we we get back to that I can't, I'm dying to get my seat back um but but it's but it's true I mean people follow us they you know they they're on Instagram Twitter they're watching us very closely and and when I talk about Alex not I'm not talking about his personal account I'm talking about the Astros yeah. social media mm -hmm. accounts you know as as your listeners probably know um but yeah it's the big moments uh that we have the front row seat to um it's our perspective that people want to see. So, you know, you see it maybe live, but I also, I'm watching the dugout getting a different perspective. Alex is getting like the great shot and, and yeah, it's yeah. very similar to his job. We have to turn it very quickly. And I, and I had a system down, you know, it was like, I, I knew when, you know, say Bregman's going to hit a home mm -hmm. run. I'm, yeah. I kind there was like a feel to it. I knew like what the dugout was going to do. I knew, you know, what he does is he rounds the bases and kind of the celebration that happens with him and the next player. And then mm -hmm. what he does as he comes back down. And then I knew there was going to be some kind of a look or some kind of a, you know, whatever yeah. Bregman's doing that day <laughs> with, <laughs> with his home run <laughs> celebrations. But I knew, I know all that because it's my, it's my routine too. So I was ready for the shot and the video and then I quickly need to, to post it because that's what everybody wants. I mean, they mm. want to be as close to the action as they can possibly get. I'm the one with that access. So I love to share that. Um, is it a must for me, all of that? No, I mean, it's not something that my boss is like, you absolutely have to do it because that isn't my job. My job is to report yeah. on what's going on to be a part of the broadcast, but it's certainly a whole new angle and, and aspect of my job that's really kind of taken off. And, uh, and I love that part of it too. It's just one more thing, <laughs> but it, but it's a fun thing uh, going back to what I was saying earlier. It's, it's just, it's why the days kind of move so quickly on us. 
Yeah, I think that's something which you've added to your coverage, which is like an extra facet, and it really does act as another sort of feather in your cap as to why, I'm not trying to blow up your ego here, but why you're ahead of the rest in terms of your peers there, because you're delivering a product that is kind of multi-layered and is able to cater to different fans in different ways and also be very quick with it and seamless yeah. as well. So I think, and and provide the sense of fun. That type of camaraderie really does come across from the broadcast. I mean, you guys have such an incredible chemistry with Todd Callis and with Jeff Blum and also with the radio guys with Robert Ford and Steve Sparks as well. I think that's something which you can't buy and that's something which you can't necessarily replicate either. And I don't know whether, I guess it partly is helped by the fact I think that Robert Ford and Steve Sparks also started in 2013 as well if I'm not mistaken so that you've right. kind of grown as a team and then obviously with Todd Callis coming in later as well really uh, added that extra again no disrespect to the former commentators who have announcers who did such a great job themselves but I love Todd Callis's commentary I think he's got such an awesome voice as well he really does deliver it in such a yeah uh, a Rolls Royce type of a uh, style, and I think um, it's it's exactly what we as, as fans love to hear. That sense of team. I mean, I'm guessing you really feel that as well. It's. I mean, that's why I'm still here. Like I said, I mean, it's a hard job, and and yes, mm. we have off seasons where things quiet down a little bit, but especially when the Astros have been good. I mean, it's it's been Valentine's Day until November. And it's nonstop and there's just not a lot of days to yourself. And, um, and so that's hard and it's hard when you have family and it's hard when you have a husband and it's hard if, um, if you're just maybe not a night person, I don't know how anybody would be able to do the job if they, if they couldn't stay up late because you know, it's, gosh, it's, it's, it's the unknown. It's the game of baseball that we love at the end of the day. Mm. And just that the game could, you could be watching a no hitter or you could be watching a, a 16 inning crazy, uh, you know, crazy finish. But no, I, yeah, it's because I not only love the game, but I, I love my peers and, and the colleagues. And you mentioned it, even the radio guys, we are, we are one team. I mean, it, yeah. we truly are. We've spent so much time together on the road and at home. Uh, we're family They're you know, all their wives are, are family to me too. Their kids. Uh, it's just been great. They're all a bunch of uncles to my newborn, which is really sweet. And, and I, you know, I love that. I love that she's going to grow up with all these, these guys to look up to who are just great. And, and Blummer and Todd and I, um, we appreciate you saying that one, that you can see the camaraderie. I mean, we really hope that comes across. You really, you really, so genuine. really, really yeah, can. thank you. It's really genuine. Um, we talk about, we were like, we should, we should like sit down and do some like maybe not a podcast, but like something where we're all three just talking and telling stories all the time because it would work, <laughs> like honestly. Just, we have we have so much fun. We've got dirt on each other that's fun. Um, you Ooh. know, we just <laughs> we're, it's, it's because we spent so much time yeah. together and we it's it's just it's a good group. And like you said, um, Todd Callis and, and his ability to the voice, his ability oh, to call the yeah. game, but um, his passion. I mean, it's he. He cares. And that guy does so much work. It's really impressive what, what he can do. I mean, that I just mentioned you what, what, how long my day was and just how mm. hard this job was. Like think about Todd and all the research that he does every single morning to, to get his notes together for the game and just the, the amount of knowledge he knows all that's going on with the other team. That's the hard part. If you can keep up with, with just about everything that's going on and then get on the air and, you know, just do it beautifully. Like he does. That's, that's when you, are great at it. And he is obviously great. Blummer and I've been doing it since 2013. So mm. um, we've known each other for a long time. And and so, I mean, you can tell that too. We, we love telling stories from the old days and, and, you know, we say old days, but it's our old days of yeah. when we were getting yeah, yeah. started. And, and so that's a lot of fun, but yeah, 
great, great group. And behind the scenes too. I mean, I, I could go on. You met Carl Patterson. I mean, just he's, mm. he's family too. I mean, we, we just, we really root for each other. We want the best for each other. And at the end of the day, we just want to bring Astros fans a great product. I mean, it, and we've been blessed to have a good team to cover uh, along the way. So it's been a lot of fun. A phenomenal team on the field. Absolutely would echo that. So then we've sort of dropped the bomb of 2020 in a COVID-affected season. How was that, dealing with such a dramatically shifted landscape and the lack of any fans, lack of any interaction? It must have been such a stark contrast. It must have been a shock. Yeah, yeah. because if you think about it, the last game where we've all been together at Minute Maid Park was game seven of the world series like the you know the just the electricity and i know it's hard to talk about it i know it didn't Mm. end the way we wanted to but but that's the peak it doesn't get any bigger than that you know as far as just how fans feel and the edge you know you're sitting on the edge of your seat and the anxiety that we all had (laughs) i mean that's just as big as it gets in that ballpark too. And I know you haven't been yet, but when that place is rocking and the roof you feels can, like it's going to pop off, it, there's nothing like it. So it, we yeah. went from that. Yeah. We went from that to, Hey, we're, we're not going to have a season yet. Stand by. We may or may not have a season. Oh, I guess we're going to have a season. This is what it's going to look like. So by the time the few of us that could actually get into the ballpark to call games, um, they turned that white sound, that white noise sound machine thing on. And I mean, it was just, <laughs> this yeah, is it, it doesn't, you know? doesn't cut this it. Is, and I know, you know, obviously MLB was trying and it was just part of it. It is what it is, as the guys say, but um, it wasn't, it wasn't anywhere close to being the same. It was like a whole different experience. Um, and it was hard. It was hard to, to kind of build up our energy, to, to tell the stories the way we told them. And for me, got my favorite part of my job um I didn't you know I didn't even mention this in, in the day that that I gave you a day in the life seven so seven ten is first pitch right yeah um for us in central zone I know I'm yeah. not even sure what time it is for you but one, one ten a.m for us but yeah we're, we're good we're good we're good <laughs> so, so I was to say it's seven ten um seven o'clock the open starts so anybody that's watching um, our network, you'll see the end of the pregame and then mm-hmm. you'll see the open and all of a sudden the music changes and you know, it's, it's our show. Now we've taken it from the pregame show and now it's our show. And, and then it's Todd's voice and he's talking over a beautiful shot of downtown Houston and then it made park. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah. Setting the scene. Yeah. Setting the scene. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's this like excitement and it's building, but he's talking as fans are roaring because things are happening on the field right there. We are 10 minutes till game time. So whether mm. someone just threw out the first pitch or maybe, maybe Jose L2, they took off running to, to go stretch in right field. Um, all that's happening. So things are happening on the field. Fans are getting excited. So here comes the buildup. Um, so I started doing first pitch hits is what we call yeah. them, which happens, you know, around 7.07, 7.08. So we come f- back from break around that time. And that's, it's my turn. I have the mic. I'm the one welcoming everyone back. Again, Ashwood's fans, you, you know this well. Um, mm. I, we are 90 seconds away now from first pitch. And if it's a Justin Verlander start, um, you know, I know he is going to zoom out of that dugout. And I'm usually standing feet from that entrance yeah so I'm standing there I'm trying to tell a story um 
place is rocking, place is crowded. Here comes Justin, like while I'm talking, here comes Justin, he runs out right next to me and runs straight to the mound. And then people lose their minds because it's time. Yeah. We are, and then the, you know, everyone, everyone follows Justin Verlander out to their spot. So here come the Astros and the train starts going and Bobby Dynamite's up there yeah. pulling a thing and hitting the <laughs> buttons. And then Bob Ford's like, here they come. And, it's it's so amazing. Meanwhile, I'm still talking with a microphone and I'm trying to tell the story that I started mm. telling, but I can't I can't tell you what that feels like. There's nothing in the world like that. I mean, it's like it's adrenaline. It's it's just an energy that you cannot you can't create on in any other environment. And so that is my favorite part of the job. It it gets me every single time. I love it. I don't you know if it's thirty five thousand people, forty five thousand people, it is the same. Um, and so we didn't have that. We didn't have it at all in 2020. No. And there were yep. nights, even on the road games, even when I'm talking on the, when the other teams lose in their minds and it's Yankees fans, like that's mm. its own different adrenaline. Yeah. Um, so we just, we, you know, I, we did games from the studio from the road. That was hard. Cause we'd never done that before. We were trying to mm. call games or watching monitors and all that was, was difficult. And by the end, I mean, did we find our rhythm? Yeah. Was it the same? No. And no, you yeah, know, yeah, we, know yeah, yeah. we know what it's supposed to feel like. So we're dying to get back in the ballpark. Um, we've been told that there will be some fans in the ballpark. We cannot wait. Um, we just can't wait to all be together in the same place at the same time. Yeah. I saw a tweet from governor Abbott saying that he wants to hundred percent open up Texas. I don't know whether Houston is in a position to be doing that yet. I have no idea, but um, is that realistic or is that slightly optimistic? Well, yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's happening. Um, but what, you know, what we're talking about and still yeah. the world that we live in and is under major league baseball. So that's all going to have to to go through Rob Manfred and, and all the protocols and the players association. Yeah. And it's, they're going to probably, probably talk again. Um, you know, there was a percentage, I think it was somewhere around 20, 25% that they were hoping that, you know, fans allowed. And, but, you know, I mean, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Houston may be at a hundred percent and yeah, the high school football games might be at a hundred percent, but um, you know, major league baseball has got its own thing going on and its own protocols. So, um, so we'll wait and see. Um, but certainly, I mean, whatever the number, I just, I can't wait to get back to it. Absolutely. I think we would all echo that it's a difficult balancing act between what's right from a COVID perspective and then what's right between, like I said, the MLB and the, and the MLBPA, right. which is always a slightly, fractious kind of relationship yeah. if we if we leave, put it as that <laughs> especially ahead of the cba negotiations next year which oh. i think every baseball fan is terrified about but um that's for another day i think moving on before we talk about your career road and your journey towards where you've reached today i want to have a quick focus on the astros for 2021 and uh, get your thoughts on how you feel about this year's team i i feel good i i hope everyone feels good I, you know i just coming off what they did in the postseason last year, there is a lot to be excited about. And yes, there's a lot of change, mm. um, but there's change every year. Uh, you know, I yeah. got to remember that <laughs> there is For sure. now I, you don't lose George Springer every year. I understand that. Uh, we kind of knew that was coming and that one, that one's a heartbreaker even when we knew it was coming just because of the impact he's made yeah. the type of player that he was. And it wasn't just his ability to swing the bat and, and the defense that he played. I mean, he just, it was that energy. It was, we all loved watching him in the dugout. And you, you can't take any of that away. Like no one should, should get rid of their George Springer jerseys. The dude won the world series MVP and will always be the George Springer. That Absolutely. We know and love. So Absolutely. no reason to, to be so, so down about it. Um, it, it is just 
part of it. And when we look on, look back on all of this in 20 years, I mean, he's still just going to always be a fan favorite. So now that we've put that to rest, yeah, 2021 yeah. is, is going to be a good team. I, I, you know, I think that the pitching depth is still going to be a question, which it was crazy last year. I can't, I don't even know, yeah. how we put, I don't even know how we got there last year. Uh, watching some of those games we were like, who are they going to pull out next? Like, where are they going to get someone? Is it from? 10 rookies or 11 like, rookies? Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. They, they were running out of guys at, at one point. Um, you know, the, the injuries just don't happen like that all the time. And they don't, it's just, mm. they, it doesn't. So, you know, we got to hope for some better health. I know it is going to be a long season coming up after a short season. So you worry about some of that. Um, I just think that they're going to be very careful and cautious with some of these guys especially the young ones so you know we we could see you know you keep hearing about the the opener and all this stuff coming from Tampa but they're gonna have to get creative anyway and I think a lot of teams are in order to keep these guys healthy and on the field just because of the the numbers of innings thrown last year versus this year Um, and then like going going with the Astros it's the Christian Javier the Enoli Paredes like how far do you want to push these guys so early in their career so I see some creativity coming. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I'm excited to call call those games and and see how that goes. But there's guys on this this team that can still mash. They can still Big hit. Time. So Big they're time. going. Yep. They, I just I I think it's why not go get another division title? It's it's just it's crazy to think that they wouldn't be able to. There's there's no reason to call this any kind of a uh, down year just because they lost some some key guys. This is still a very talented group. Um, last I checked, there's. Jose Altuve, Alex Fregman, Yuli Gurriel, Michael Brantley. You know, I mean, it's like, okay, okay, we uh, we still got the we still got the dudes mm. on this team uh, to make it happen. So, yeah, and they seem hungry. I love that too. I'm not in West Palm Beach, but I'm on these zooms every yeah. single morning, and they seem really hungry. And I like what they're saying. So fans should should like it too. Yeah, I think this is an underrated team, which is bizarre to think yeah. about it when you consider those three straight 100 plus win seasons. But the you know the main core of that team is still there, like you said. I think that the the form of the 2020 season for hitters, particularly people like Jose Altuve and like Alex Bregman, is a bit of a, a false economy, a bit of a mirage because so many hitters struggled in what was a really really unusual and difficult landscape last year. I don't yeah. think you can buy into that and say, oh. Bregman didn't hit over 60 games. He, you know, he's, he's, he's struggling in the wake of the scandal, et cetera, et cetera. Same going for Altuve. Because I, I look at that postseason and I say, well, if you're going to put so much stock in 60 games, why do you not put so much stock in the, in the sort of 13, 14 games where Jose Altuve's bat exploded, Carlos Correa's right. bat exploded? Right. These are the same exactly. guys. Once they, if, if they get a good start to this year, watch out. Honestly, I think this is a team which has the offense and has the power to still do real damage. And keeping hold of Michael Brantley was a big... You know, it's, it, it doesn't. It might not seem that big to potentially the rest of Major League Baseball not focusing on the Astros so strongly, but for us who have inside and outside knowledge of how this team plays, having mm-hmm. his experience, that professional hitter in the lineup, can't be underestimated. Uh, especially with Springer having gone, I think from my point of view, I think the, the question marks are still over the outfielders. In do we have enough depth there? Mm-hmm. In terms of offense, is a real chance for whether it's someone like. Well, something like even like something like Steven Souza, who's who's come in and is potentially able to try and stake his own claim for a place. Hopefully, Carl Tucker has a, a you know another year to to build on what he did last year. What do you think uh, in terms of the outfield? Who do you think is going to step up and, and say, right, I want that spot? Can Miles Straw do it? Yeah, uh, it's. I mean, Miles has got an opportunity, mm, right? I time. mean, yeah, he's and he's well loved and everybody's rooting for him. And you know how far that goes, I don't know, but. 
but everyone should mm-hmm. know that this is a, this is a, a team favorite guy and and they know he's going to work hard and he's obviously got the speed he just has to hit and and he knows that and so i think his whole focus right now is just figuring out how he's going to get on base um so they're working with him he's obviously working on it. everybody just wants him to succeed so they're yeah. figuring out a way to make that work um because it would be you know that's what the organization needs right now um there's he's just he's just the opportunity it's there so go miles go get it um you know it's hard not not to to root for him as well someone who's covered him for the last few years Kyle Tucker you know it's the consistency for him uh we yeah. we've we've seen the good we've seen what he can do um but can he keep it up uh, because we've also seen where he's struggled in the past and and that you know that that is a part of his story and that is a part of his big league career right now so how much growing up has he done um, can he take what he did last year? Are there going to be adjustments made back? Was That was the thing with him. He came up and he just could not adjust back once yeah. pitchers adjusted to him, um, but but did a good job of it last year. So, I mean, he, he all around, he was a great player last year. So can he keep that up? I think that will be huge for him as well. I'm interested to see what Suze is going to do. Yeah. Um, just given, I mean, he's got major league experience. I've obviously, I've obviously covered him on the, the other side and watched him play, but it's the injuries. Hopefully yeah, he can that's stay the worry. healthy, but but wonder, um, but yeah, I mean, if, if he's feeling good, just given that he hasn't played in a lot of games, maybe he is feeling good, but the, but the knee's certainly a concern there. Um, but yeah, Michael Brantley, going back to your point on that, I, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. That was, uh, you know, I, for Astros fans, we were obviously like, yes, that was an excellent move, but I think that was a little underrated for mm. everyone else who, who know just how impactful he is um, in that lineup, you know, it, he's going to hit 300 because it's what he does every year. Yeah. But even if he doesn't, it's just having him there that really changes the whole dynamic of that, of the order. And especially that middle of the order. Um, and, and people just watch him. They watch his every move. You know, it's like even Altuve, who is an excellent hitter, um, yeah. been in the big leagues for a long time, but if, but, but watches Michael Brantley to see how he handles things and what he does. I mean, that's just, that's the kind of guy Michael Brantley is. He's the, the pro's pro mm. and he's such a grown up in the room. He's like the grown up in the room and everybody. He does he seem like it. He does seem like <laughs> it, definitely. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think that was a, a huge, huge move for the Ashes to, to keep him around for a couple of years. Um, but yeah, the, the outfield depth is going to be a, going to be a question early mm. on and um, like Chaz McCormick's these guys that they keep the front office keep throwing out at us and keep saying the names yeah. of um we'll we'll you know we'll be watching I don't you know I think the Jordan Alvarez and left field we can we can kind of you know yeah. we can just move on we can move on from that I, I think you know eventually they'll try it if the knees are feeling pretty good but um but no I mean i I think you just get that guy on the field however you can. You just get his bat in the lineup. Yeah. That's uh, the important part right there. I can't wait to see Jordan Alvarez back because if, I mean, what a tantalizing glimpse in 2020. What was it? Two games in that first game when he came back. <laughs> uh, you couldn't have written it. And uh, yeah, bam, there it goes. And that home run straight away against, I think it was the Mariners that game. Um, and then gone like a mirage just, and just that was it. disappeared. Yep. And uh, <laughs> the legend of Jordan continues. But yeah, I really hope that he gets into that sort of rhythm and his, his knees are fine. Obviously, it's a, a quite an anxious situation for us watching every time he every time he's, he's on the bases, every time he's he's doing anything that involves any kind of twisting movement will be kind of having a heart in the mouth. But if he gets on a tear again, like 2019 and gets a full 162 games to do it, I mean, that's a hell of a bat to put back in the lineup. Yeah. And, uh, you know, everyone, all the, the guys who 
are obviously very good hitters and they've seen very good hitters. Um, the way that they ooh and awe over him is, is almost like, okay, easy guys. <laughs> Take it easy. They just, it's like they all have man crushes on Jordan, the way that they talk about him. And then Korea comes out and he's sexy and it's fun. I mean, <laughs> it's a fun group. And yeah. They, yeah and the, but the funny part is that you'll talk to Jordan or you'll see Jordan and there's just like no expression. Like he's just, he's so, I don't know. He's so stoic. I can't, I can't shake him. I can't get a, a, a laugh out of him he's tough um but but they obviously are, are big fans of him and, and he's a very confident guy without saying a word we can see it by the way that he just approaches uh, everything uh, including his you know just stepping into the batter's box mm. he's like okay here we go it's like an aura with uh, with Jordan Alvarez I definitely agree the only other question which I have about this team this year is the closer role and I think that as much as I love Ryan Presley as a pitcher I had him as a guest on the show and had a great chat with him and and he's a really level-headed guy super easygoing very very knowledgeable about pitching I still don't like having him as a closer personally. I think he's phenomenal as your sort of setup guy in the eighth inning. I think he's made for that. And I think whilst he's a good closer, I don't know if it's my personal preference to have that in, in that role. I was hoping that the club would go out and try and get someone who is a kind of career closer. Yeah. I, I don't know what your They're thoughts expensive. are on that. Because, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I know it's very, no, true. It's, it's kind of the big question. Is, it's yeah, hard could, to find. Yeah, I yeah, mean, closers true. are tricky. They're just tricky. And you yeah. think you're getting a guy who's the best in the game, um, you know, relievers are just hard. I, I yeah. don't know how front offices can do it because by the time you sign them, you know, they might have one good year and, and then they're never the same. And it's just, they're, it's just finicky. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. I, I feel great about Ryan Presley coming in the eighth or whenever they decide to use him in those big spots. I love, I love that. And, mm. and I feel good about that. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of with you in that, you know, that's my favorite. I don't know if I love him being the closer role, but you know, things change and, and, and it's okay if, if he kind of figures out that closer role role too, I think he wants it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and this is a guy that's going to say the right things and he's going to tell, continue to tell us, I'm just going to do whatever they tell me to do, but yeah, he said that on this, but, yeah, he said that on this very <laughs> show. Yeah. yeah, but he's got, I mean, he's got the stuff to be a closer. He can get righties out. He can get lefties out. Um, when he's on, he is the best and Mm. so um i'm not i i don't i don't want to you know keep him from that role you know if it was my decision i wouldn't want to hold him back and right now i think he is their best option i you know the the guys that they've signed are are not all just gonna fit in into this bullpen and Mm. they don't all have a spot there is a little bit of competition going on there as far as some of the the veteran guys coming in and see if they still have it if there's still some something left in the tank and just and how their stuff plays compared to to some of the young guys I mean you know it's like we've got a good look at a lot of these guys at the major league level and like an Anoli and, and some of these guys that are going to be in there Josh James will, will be healthy eventually he's not ready just yet but he'll be back in the mix so yeah, I think that the bullpen's a nice little competition of, of guys, and it's a, a good mix. But you know, I I'm okay with him closing games. Ryan Presley yeah. will be a good closer, but I definitely get what you're saying, and I get what Astros fans are saying because you love the fact that he was gonna, you know, eighth inning, um, shut Absolutely it down, nails. and yeah, that's just nails. the way. Yeah, I mean, it was just the way it went. If the Astros had a lead in the seventh, it was over. Like it was mm. over, and that, and you feel good about that. Um, but they can get back to something like that. Um, I think uh, with some of the arms that they have in there. So let's, you know, let's stay tuned and see how that plays out. Yeah. I just wouldn't want to see a situation where you've got kind of closer by committee, where you've got a mixture of 
Presley, Anoli Paredes, maybe right. Ryan Stanek, and then perhaps even Pedro Baez coming in doing that. I think for me as a fan, I like to know this is my guy. This is the guy who's doing it. <laughs> right. And if, if it's a big game, this is this is who we want in there. I think maybe that's a slightly archaic way of looking at it because situations change and analytics dictate that different matchups work better for different games. But just personal yeah. gut feeling. I'm, I hear maybe, you. I hear you. But, maybe I'm you know, a dinosaur, like- but yeah. No, you're not a dinosaur, but even like the Blake Taylors and the Brooks Ray, like, how are you going to use all those guys? Yeah. There's a lot yeah. to choose from, which is good. I mean, you know, we, bullpen depth was scary coming into the offseason. It was like, how the heck are you going to do this? Mm. Joe Smith back in the mix. Um, there's there's some really good options. They're just going to have to figure out how they're going to use everyone. Um, but they have a plan. Don't you worry. That analytical yeah. team, is, is they have a plan. Yeah, I guess the change between AJ Hinch's management style and Dusty Baker's management style is yeah, it's quite noted how they would handle the um, pitching changes in somewhat different ways from one another. And I think there's there's not necessarily a right or a wrong way there because again, different situations dictate different outcomes and different options. But yeah, that's certainly something which I think will be very much on the agenda this year for 2021 as this group of pitchers, the younger pitchers, look to experience crowds for the first time in their careers and how does that affect yeah. them? which is a big thing, yeah, uh, you know, true. how are they going to deal with that? Because it's one thing being able to deliver in front of an empty ballpark, another one when you've got fans screaming noise. for whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the white noise, yeah. And another thing when you've got partisan crowds, whether it's 25% or, or more, I think that will be something which is a question to answer. Moving on to your journey to where you've come from throughout your career, I just wanted to get a little bit more insight and see what your inspirations were when you were growing up and what are your first memories of wanting to get into sports broadcasting and who were your influences? Well, I I was an athlete from a child, you know, my childhood years only Mm -hmm. because my parents were both athletes. So we didn't have a choice. (laughs) I was playing, you know, little dribblers basketball, as we called it, where I grew up uh, before I, I really was even interested. My mom was coaching me and, and teaching me how to shoot. And uh, it was just what we did. And I'm so I, I loved growing up that way. We my brother and I played everything we were very involved in sports. So sports has just been a big part of my life in general. Um, but the TV part of it, hmm. I, I was very interested in that at a young age, too. My dad ran for US Senator when I was nine, 10 years old here in Texas. And so I was on the campaign trail with him. And I got to watch reporters so this is back in in the 90s and um before the social media world and and so there was just so many reporters that would follow him on the trail and whether they were newspaper writers or magazine writers or television reporters i i I thought it was all super fascinating and the live tv part of it i loved i loved the red dot going off on the camera and and reporters counting down i thought that was just fascinating so that i knew what i wanted to do from the time I was 10 years old, I wanted to be a news reporter. Uh, what I didn't know is that, you know, as I got older, there would there would be an opportunity for women to to cover sports on TV, you know? And so at that point, it was kind of uh, this, just all of a sudden, all my passions and my loves were coming together. And I was like, wait a minute, I can do what? Um, you know, I, I don't have to cover city council meetings. I can cover high school football games because <laughs> I'll see you at the football game, you know, if that's if that's my, you know, what, what I'm meant to do. And so I I studied broadcast journalism college. I interned and did sports for all my internships. That way I was able to, to kind of figure out how to even get into that world because there wasn't a lot of jobs when I started as far as females, there wasn't sideline reporters everywhere that that was, that was rare. Aaron Andrews was 
rare. You know, I mean, she was one of the first to, to be seen on, at the college football level. Obviously, there were women that had anchored and, and reported Michelle Tafoya, Susie Colbert. I mean, I loved all those women. Um, but this idea that there was going to be a reporter for most of these games wasn't all that popular at the time. So it became more popular as I started to get in the business. I worked in local TV news doing sports. I was like the weekend sports anchor uh, for a couple of different TV stations as I worked my way up. I worked in Austin eventually, which is a bigger market. And then I could cover bigger sports. And I covered a lot of minor league baseball because of the Round Rock Express or just yeah. down the road. And at the time, there were the Rangers AAA affiliate. The Rangers were playing excellent baseball back then. They went to the back to back World Series while I was covering the AAA team. So I covered the World Series because I was able to continue on and cover those guys that we covered all year. So that for me was what put me in this position uh, for, for this Astros job. It was the, the time that I spent at a ballpark and learning the ins and outs and learning the way the minors worked and, and what happened to guys when they went to the majors. Um, so I got this really in-depth knowledge that I wouldn't have had without that AAA uh, experience that I had. So yeah, just, it was kind of the right place at the right time. My contract was ending in Austin. Uh, the Astros were looking for someone that was going to travel with the, with the team for the very first time. They'd have reporters, but they'd never had someone that had covered, you know, 150 games and traveled with them. And so that opportunity came up and I jumped. I mean, I, I was like, well, what can I do? Give me, you know, like, what? this is my, my absolute dream job, which I didn't know was a dream until you told me about it. But, um, I got the job and, and that was March of 2013. And my first game was like two weeks from then. Wow. Um, I threw my stuff in my car. I just kind of found an apartment. I showed up at Minute Maid Park and we did one last spring. It was like an exhibition game that we usually do. You know, the Astros usually play those two exhibition games before the season starts. Um, it was that last exhibition game. I jumped on. It didn't it was new for me too, the network thing and, and not having to carry a camera. All of a sudden I was just holding a microphone and all I had to worry about was asking questions. Um, I had just crammed, uh, you know, on who the guys were. Obviously everyone knew who, who, Al who Altuve was, but mm. at that time, 2013, these guys were like coming from everywhere. And, and so it was a, a wild uh, <laughs> couple of weeks as I jumped in. Um, but so cool. And I'm so glad I said, I'm so glad that I found out about the opportunity. I'm so glad I got the opportunity. Um, I'm just, I'm so thrilled to, to be here, but that's, I'm sorry to give you the long version no, of that, that's, but that's kind of how I ended up here. <laughs> that is amazingly interesting. I love hearing that your kind of love for it first developed from the political the rallies that your, your father was mm -hmm. at. That's so interesting. I think that's something which I never would have even thought about that as being a kind of a point of inspiration. That is fascinating to hear because that's like a the sort of seed which it's all grown from. And from that point, that's something which uh, I'm very glad you mentioned that because I'd never have, have guessed that. What advice would you give to women inspired to follow in your footsteps? Oh, a lot of advice. Um, yeah, far enough, far away. So <laughs> no, I'm gonna... no. uh, it's just, you know, over the years, I've just learned so much. Uh, you know, don't be scared. First off, uh, women are accepted. Women are killing it in sports right now mm. um, and doing some amazing things. So there's absolutely no, there should be no fear and jumping into a, a world that's driven by men or, you know, I mean, all the yeah. things that we, we hear all the time and, and it is, but don't be scared of it. Um, there's just no reason to be because there's enough women too to lean upon. There's so many men out there that are ready to help you. Um, they will, they will 
answer your questions and they will teach you. Um, it's just, it's, there's some really great people in this business. And so, um, that's my first piece is just, don't be afraid, uh, go for it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and going from there, I mean, just the, the little things that I've learned that have really helped me throughout my career is, you know, don't be afraid to shake people's hands network like crazy. The sports world is a lot smaller than, uh, you know, the TV world is pretty small, but then the sports world is even smaller. And then if you find yourself in a sport that you're covering just one, um, that is a tiny little world. So just meet people, you never know, you know, who ends up on which team and, and all of a sudden it just people move. It's a, it's yeah. a fast paced industry. And so, uh, you just, and, and be ready for any opportunity that's given to you. Don't be, uh, don't be shy and don't, don't say no to an opportunity that, that might help you grow in an area that maybe you don't feel good about. Just it's one of those, get out of your comfort, you know, get out of your box and all that. I mean, that's, it's so true because this industry is also continuing to change constantly. It's changed a ton since I started. I mentioned there weren't female sideline reporters for every team back then. And, and now look, I mean, you know, it's just, it's just, changed so much social media jumped in the conversation and now people are, are you know broadcasting people are podcasting um you know all yeah. that's happened since i got into the industry and i'm not very old so you just don't know what's going to happen next and you don't know what's going to be needed and um, just keep yourself versatile i mean if you're an astros fan you know that's what we're all about we like to take our players and we teach them multiple positions uh the marwin gonzalez the Aledmus diaz i mean there's a reason those guys are hanging around so long and it's because they're versatile and so that mm. same thing for for us in this business and um and so just learn as much as you can know all sports um, you know, just read, 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 uh, keep your knowledge up because, uh, because you want to be the smartest person in the room. Um, do you have to be to, to get the job? No, but, but you want to be. And so, um, ask questions and, and do a lot of reading and, and that will go a long way. So those are just a few of the things, but, uh, but yeah, it's just, it's such a fun job and, and not just my job, any job surrounding sports on the TV side, um, whether journalism side or on the team side, gosh, to work for a team would be a really, really cool opportunity or just a really fun thing to do as well. So it's just happy. I can't explain that to people. I mean, if you, if you go to a ball game, you know, you can't help but be happy before the team, you know, before your team loses in some mm. dramatic way, you were happy before, <laughs> you know, there's just like this sense of, of joy and, and it's a carefree and you kind of get away from the rest of the world. And that's what, that's what going to work is every day for those of us who work in sports. So it's a pretty neat gig. That is a brilliant set of advice for anyone aspiring to be the, the next Julia Morales. So I think this, uh, <laughs> and thank you so much for, for sharing those points. I think when you think about women in baseball and women in sports broadcasting and sports journalism, you have immensely strong figures like thinking of uh, another Latina in, in the sporting world, Marley Rivera, who is uh, an absolute powerhouse in terms of the position that she delivers as well. I mean, you have others, you have Hannah Storm, you have other, all these other names which resonate. And I think um, yep. I wanted to, this a slightly deeper point and I wanted to get your opinion on it, particularly today in the wake of the revelations regarding Mickey Calloway and obviously the happened recently with Jared Porter as well I think it's it's kind of like there's this dichotomy in the baseball world at the moment where you have such progressive things like Kim Ong getting the GM job with the Miami Marlins obviously being the first person of East Asian descent to get a GM role the first woman to get a GM role in any of the four major sports leagues in America and then you've got this other terrible side of the coin I mean, would you say that baseball is moving in the right direction in relation to giving women that equal platform? Because I still feel 
and I'm speaking from an outside perspective here, but I still feel that women in sports journalism are expected, are given these unrealistic expectations of having to be 10 times better than their male colleagues just to be equal. And I think that that is something which needs to be a balance which needs to be redressed. And I don't know whether that's by the continued push to give women more high profile jobs, obviously, which in the sport, which obviously Kim Ung is a, a shining example of that. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts? What can baseball do to kind of continue that? Because I, I worry. Yeah, so it's so doing one... a great job. Yeah, no, you're, it's a great, it's a great debate. It's a great question um, mm. to try to get it into a Yeah, thought. in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot to it, but I, yes, I think baseball is going in the right direction. I think uh, they just put a team together to do some of the investigations on the guys that you mentioned mm. um, and some things that have happened there. And I don't think that's going to go away. That team of, of people, that hotline that has been uh, you know announced as far as if you run into a situation, if you feel uncomfortable, you can call. It is confidential. And they are, they are trying, um, finally. Do I yeah. think it took a long time and way too long at Absolutely. Um, but it's here and, and now we can move forward and now we can keep moving forward. And so what is the next thing? Uh, how, how can we continue to, to make it better and more comfortable and make sure that there's not these awkward situations or, you know, putting yeah. females in, in positions where they don't want to be. Um, so yes, I think, I think sports is in general, I, it's come a long way. You're, and you, you bring up the women have to be 10 times better than a man. Honestly, when I started, that was, that was very much told to me. It was like, you know, Mm. make sure you, you know, the game inside and out back and forth, because if you, you know, you'll get tested and guys will throw things at you just to see like how you'll, what you'll say. And, you know, and, and that, that was a little, that was a little frightening for me in the beginning. It was like, Oh gosh, okay. Who's going to throw a, a trivia question at me. And if I don't know who the 1974 winner of the, the cup is, then I'm going to be a failure. You know, like seriously, yeah. that's how mm-hmm. they made you. That's how they made me feel. Yeah. Um, what I think is, has been amazing to see is my generation and, um, and those younger than me and those older than me have really pushed to make sure that that's, we're not telling, like I just said, I'm like, don't be afraid to get in it like because we're doing just fine we are in it and we are doing great at our jobs and there's a lot of talented people um we're continuing to get more jobs um and so i'm we're we're killing it you know we're we're basically killing that whole we're not telling the next generation like make sure like no you do you obviously you want to be prepared because you're a journalist like it doesn't mean like female or male um but that's, that's the message. And, and we are all sharing that. And I, I listen to other, I listen to speakers. I, you know, I speak to schools, I speak to journalism mm-hmm. classes and I make sure to, you know, just, it's a positive reinforcement of, of we are allowed to be here. We're supposed to be here. If you are passionate enough and you know what you're doing um, and you're qualified, then, then go for it and do it. And, and you will be respected along the way. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's about all I think we can do there as far as just like pushing the right message and making sure that we're all, we're all talking about it and, and, and setting that next generation up for success. So there's that. Um, yeah. but no, I, I mean, just, I think I've, I've honestly have never had an issue. Um, you know, there have there been random things said to me over the 12 years that I've been in the business. Yes. Um, yeah. but nothing, nothing too harsh, nothing I, I'm so fortunate. I've been around some really, really great people who've 
who've done some really awesome things for me and just helping me out. And, and like I said, answering my silly questions. Cause like we, sometimes we ask bad questions. Sometimes it happens. If you're asking 15 questions a day for 12 years, like there's going to be a bad question, but your whole you know, career shouldn't fall down to that. And you shouldn't be afraid of that. And so again, that goes back to my point. We're just trying to really push that message of, um, you know, we're all human. Um, if, and, and then at the end of the day, you just, it's professionalism. It's so, so much. I, I tell people to watch, you know, if you are trying to get in this business and social media, you are putting yourself out there, this, this whole other layer of how you're presenting yourself and, and you're kind of, you know, you're vulnerable to attacks. You're vulnerable to, to, the silly yeah. things that people are going to say just to say them. Um, so there's that whole layer of it too, that I didn't have to deal with when I started and then had to kind of figure it out as, as I was going along. But um, yeah, no, I think uh, the world of sports is, is going in the right direction. Um, there's still a long way to go, just given all the you know things that came to light with uh, some of the, the allegations, but um, definitely. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's anywhere. I mean, that happens everywhere too. You know, I mean, it's no, just, it's, a, it's, it's a societal that's thing, definitely. A, right? Yeah. That's not just that's not just sports. That's uh, that's everything mm. that that should be fixed. So yeah, I think um, absolutely right. Yeah, it's it's such a positive to see people getting these opportunities now that perhaps wouldn't have been the case previously. One final point I think I should mention is also the Sabre Award for Shakir Taylor, which was this week, which she was the first black woman to win an award from Sabre, Baseball Prospectus right. uh, and Hardball Times. And that's, again, another step on the road towards getting to the point where we would all love it to be, particularly online. I guess, like you said, social media does bring out the worst, unfortunately, in certain people. And we'd love to be able to live in a world where that's less the case. Moving on to, as we start to, to wrap up, slightly more lighthearted subjects, it would be remiss of me not to mention your incredible Christmas tradition of videos, which your father puts together. And I, I just, I, I hope that, I know it's kind of, kind of out of the blue, but it's uh, something which I love watching each year. You guys do it. How much rehearsal do you guys have to do for that? Because it looks like a full-on production every time out. We don't. That's the that's the beauty of the whole wow. thing. Um, it started years and years. Ago. Well, we've been dancing in my family. My family's a, a bunch of dancers, and um, mm. my aunt owns a dance studio. My brother is actually, you know, professionally danced in L.A. and in Vegas, and and wow. was back up to some to Mariah Carey. And I mean, he's he's done some really cool things in his Goodness. career. But now he's trying to do some acting. So he has his he has really nice equipment and a great editing program. And so that's kind of how this all got started in making the more fun Christmas videos is once we had the equipment to do it, we're like, oh, okay, here we go. Um, and so, you know, he's, he's talented in that he can put scenes together and cut music and, but so are we, and we're good with choreography. And, and so it was just a, it, we used to have a Christmas sock hop every year and we used to all dance and then it turned into, you know, less people moved off and, and so it became more of just the family hanging out. And that's when we, we turned this into kind of a family Christmas music video. Mm. Um, and it's funny that you say you rehearse all day because it's like, or for a long time, but some of those times it's like, finally we get together and we like visiting so much and we like hanging out so much that we're not working on our video. And then it's like, <laughs> okay, three o'clock on Christmas Eve. What are we doing this year, guys? Like, what's our song? And then we'll kind of throw it together. And my brother has the hard part of editing it all, but my dad's the star of the show every year because he, because of his ability to dance, he can still do it at 72 years old. Um, this year was really hard just with the pandemic. Mm. <clears throat> we didn't get all of our family together. 
my brother's camera was stuck in some whatever city uh it was getting fixed and it took three extra months I mean it was just total pandemic struggles um that turned into us just kind of really enjoying our the the time that we had together my mom had a really rough year battling cancer she's doing great right now but it was a good hey let's just uh hang out with the baby and take a breath so we didn't have our usual you know four minute (laughs) big (laughs) big recital for everyone this year but we'll probably be back on it um but thanks for for saying that you enjoy watching those oh, because we really enjoy putting them together. Definitely. I don't, put, I, I don't want to put pressure on you, but I'm, I'm, I'm already counting down <laughs> the days for this year's edition because uh, you, you we've expecting got big things. Like we've, we've taken it to the next level. Oh, yeah. I think you're going to have to get your daughter Valerie involved as well. She's going to be all mm-hmm. over that, surely. She's going to love it seeing the, oh, the yeah. family come together with that. A couple more lighthearted things before we finish. I know you mentioned earlier on, in the, right at the start, about eating at the ballpark. Rank for me, please, your top three ballpark foods. Foods. Okay. I thought you were yeah. going to say ballparks and I was like ready to go. Food. Well, yeah. Um, yeah far, far, far away with them as well. Yeah. Whichever ones. Yeah. Well, Seattle, San Francisco, so an AT&T park, but now it's called Oracle. Oracle. Park, yeah. 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 Changed it. Um, changed a lot. Yeah. And gosh, I love so many ballparks. What am I missing? I'm missing Target Field. Love Target Field. Okay. So at Target Field, I always get the mini donuts there from, they have like a state fair section because they've got mm-hmm. such a great fair there um, with all the fried foods. So I always get the mini donuts. Fabulous, especially because it's usually freezing there too. And they come out hot and you just melt in your mouth. It's just wow. so good. Powdered sugar, the whole thing. Um, I like anything. Um, it's Baltimore and the crab. And the I mean, there's like the, the fries or the, I mean, it's just any of the seafood stuff they got going on in Baltimore is delicious. So I have to have some of that while I'm there. Um, I always talk about in Pittsburgh, they had this breakfast burger that was, it was like a crispy cream donut that they used for the bun. Wow. And then it was, okay. you know, there was obviously the beef, but they put an egg in there and it was just so good. That is interesting. I'm really hungry right now. Delicious. Um, so those, yeah, that's top three. Top three. Um, let's go baseball wise your top three Astros moments outside of winning the World Series because obviously that would be kind of the Nirvana pinnacle summit of everything but just three your three favorite Astros moments since you've been uh, working with the club has the grade count um, <laughs> I'm like trying to get away from the, <laughs> from the actual winning of the World Series okay fine 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 um okay well um clinching to go to the World Series game seven of the ALCS there was nothing better like winning the world series is very very cool don't get me wrong yeah clinching and getting to a world series um it's a big thing gosh that was cool with lance and the interviews that i did so uh, i stepped on to the grass and it like i had to take a second like it was because everybody was so overwhelmed because if they remember at that Mm. point they had never been to a world series you know most of these guys yeah um so you know, this the core. It was the Altuve's getting to a World Series and the George Springer's making it to a world. Like all of it was that emotion and mm. all of that kind of bundled up. Um, that was so neat. Evan Gaddish just boohooing. I mean, he was literally just bawling um, in an interview that I did with him. It was just because at that I point, whether you yeah. win the World Series or not, I mean, it was just getting there is is the it's greatest a big, big thing, thing as a baseball player, right? So um, the interviews that I did that night, uh, I'll never forget the way that that felt and and just how Mm. everyone sounded and it's that first time so just like 
it, this is another one of my favorite memories as I trans transition into 2015 and the team celebrating uh, clinching a postseason berth on the last day of the season and lose. I think they lost that last game, um, but it was it came down. You know, a lot of things yeah. were going on in the American League West. We needed the Rangers to beat the Angels, I think, or it might be it might be backwards. But we were scoreboard watching. Yeah, and. Um, and that was the first, that was, that was the most exciting thing just because those guys had never been to the playoffs. So similar to what I was been, just yeah, talking yeah. about of just, you know, of, of these guys and how hard they worked and getting to a world series. It was, it was the same, but you know, it, it, it went so fast in 2015 that it was ugly in 2013, 2014 was not a great year, but we, we saw some glimpses of hope. I enjoyed it. Things, yeah. just, things yeah. moved fast in 2015. It was Correa shows up and then Lance and colors shows up and, and all of a sudden, George Springer is starting to hit the ball really well. And it was like, things were starting to come together. And then all of a sudden, they were like, oh, my gosh, we're in the postseason. Um, and then beating the Yankees. So I will say that that first celebration in the clubhouse will always be one of my favorite memories, just because we had no idea what we were doing or what we were getting ourselves into. And I mean, the amount of curse words that were thrown out on live TV that day, um, I was supposed to. At some point, AJ Hinch was supposed to talk to everyone in the clubhouse. Was supposed to hand a microphone to him, but he never did early on. And then when he did speak to everyone, you know, it was like yeah. 20 minutes into the celebration. So I don't know how much had been, you know, consumed. I think we <laughs> and, remember that. And yeah. then there were, yeah, then there were f bombs thrown. <sighs> and uh, I mean, I know that was difficult for my bosses and for people that work on the TV side of things, but that was a, a really cool moment just because it was very genuine and you could tell how, um, how happy they were. Um, but, you know, Justin Verlander's no hitter will always be very special to me, just given what he's done in the game and, mm -hmm. and, you know, just that hall of fame type guy. And, and he was, he's a very tough guy to get to know just because, I mean, well, first of all, I mean, he, we're getting him at the end of his career. And, and yeah. so it's, this is a guy with a family, um, not spending a ton of time just hanging out. Um, and he gets down to business. He's a very intense guy, but the, so, you know, for him to have that moment of where every, like the walls just kind of came down and he was very excited, like a, like a kid excited, like I did it. Like he really wanted that third no hitter. And we had never really seen that mm. from him. Yeah. Um, it was a different Justin Verlander that night. You know, I mean, it's just like a guy that you can't really, you can't, you can't break. He's, he's great for a reason. And it's because he's able to just keep it all inside and keep it all together. But that day um, he, he let it go a little bit. And, and you could tell that that really meant something to him, something he was working towards and he got it. And I was right there to see it. Um, was the first person to talk to him off the field. Um, so that will obviously be one of my top moments. There's just so many, it's been a, it's been a wild ride so far and I can't see, I can't wait to see where it goes next. Here, here, definitely would echo that. Last couple of points. Do you have a funny story? It could be an interesting story, funny story from your career, which uh, well, Astro's career, which people would love to hear. I love asking this question to guests because it kind of brings up all sorts of different things from left field, from wherever. And uh, I just wondered whether there's something you can think of. Can be the more random, the better, really. But uh, anything at all. <laughs> the more random, the better. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be, but whatever you can think of. Funny. It doesn't have funny, to be funny. funny or funny or interesting or quirky or just like wow that was unusual it's just something I say, which... I, like i mean there's just so many um one of the one of the more intense people always ask me in interviews about getting hit by foul balls um and i did get hit pretty hard colby rasmus smoked one and it wow. and the where i sit in cleveland it's real low 
it's a it's a strange way to sit a sideline reporter but we're real low anyway yeah. so it smacks me in the ribs and I can't breathe and then they throw me on the air like I'm okay they think I'm okay so they turn my mic on they're like Julia let's go oh. ahead you get hit I'm like like I can't talk. I have no breath, and it was actually in pain. I was like, "Yeah, no, come back to me." So Colby Russell's like runs down, and he called me Miss Julia. Miss Julia in his accent. That's such a Colby Russell thing to do. I love it. Like in the middle of the game, he's like, "Miss Julia, you okay? You all right?" He kept checking on me. Um, but anyway, that's that's one of the the moments that. Uh, I'll never forget in this job. It's just the, the things that happen to us are crazy. Um, one of my favorite memories, though, was in 2015 that I bring up that year. Yeah. Um, the team had gone through a little bit of a, a just a scuffle, a few games that were pretty bad. Jonathan VR had made this awful error to end the game in Toronto right before the All-Star break. Yep. Or no, yep. it wasn't before the All-Star break. It was, maybe not, yeah. maybe earlier. No, it was mm. earlier, earlier, earlier. Because I know this, because... Um, we're on the flight. So they've been playing really well. They had a great April. They'd been playing really well. So for them to just kind of hit and it was like going in the wrong direction that the Rangers started surging a little bit. Um, just a tense plane. So we get on the plane from Toronto and we're going to Chicago and I hear everyone get real quiet and AJ goes to the back of the plane and it's just like just real quiet and weird. Um, and all of a sudden there's cheering and it just never happens like they don't have team meetings on planes it's not a thing that they do ever that's their time like it's the the coaches everybody's separated on the plane they're doing their own thing um and we hear cheering and and everyone's like very excited and so we're like that was weird um so we get a couple minutes and the coaches start making their way back up and um aj kind of hit uh i guess it was it was blummer at the time but he kind of hit our seats and he was like is coming and and it was like Correa's coming. Then it was our time to be excited because we'd been looking forward to seeing Correa, right? So we yeah. headed to, to Chicago and he met us there. But that's just a, that's one of the cool moments of just like being and you know, being a part of the team and, and getting to witness some really, really, uh, really neat things that that are, you know, that's like that's a big moment in Astros history, you know, the, yeah. the beginning of Carlos Correa's career. Um, and so, yeah, it, but that goes to show just kind of how talented he was coming up and how everyone was looking forward to seeing him. And then of course he gets the first hit, his first homer and, uh, and played some excellent defense right out of the gate. So yeah, those are some good memories. Yeah. I think those are very much sort of the type of indelible memories, which we like to hear. And uh, you're very lucky to have experienced kind of firsthand on the subject of Carlos Correa. Let's hope that there are many more memories to come and leave it at that. Um <laughs> Before you go, I would just like to say, please, can you ask Steve Sparks whether he'd like to come on the show as well? Because he's the last <laughs> member of the broadcast team that I need to get on. I've had everyone else. Sparky, if you're listening, yeah. I need you on the show. And I'll be very much looking forward to that as well. Julia, thank you so much for coming on the show. I can't express enough how much appreciation I have for it. I hope you have a huge, yeah. hugely enjoyable season with the team. I hope it's a hugely successful season on and off the field. Again, I hope everything goes well as you continue to recover from the storms uh, and so on. Hopefully right. we'll be able to catch up later in the year. Sounds good. Thank you. Bye-bye. Talk soon. We'll do. Bye-bye. That was brilliant. Such a privilege to be able to get a truly in-depth view behind the scenes on just how Julia Morales works during ball games and away from the ballpark as well. I don't think it would be overstating things to say that Julia is the glue that holds the Astros broadcast together as she forms a major part of the viewing experience with Todd Callis and Jeff Blum in such an enjoyable and charismatic fashion. What she has to deal with live in her job must be immensely demanding, but she handles it immaculately and is an example for all of her peers. 
I loved hearing about how she was inspired to pursue a reporting career from the reporters she saw as a youngster during her father's political career. That was so interesting. Equally of interest was Julie's assessment of how a baseball media career presently is for women in the industry. I was very glad to hear that she has not experienced any outright unacceptable treatment, such as has been the case with the ongoing high-profile baseball cases in the media recently. However, it is clear that both within the sport and by extension societally as well, especially in the wake of the Me Too movement, there is still a lot of work to be done by the powers that be in baseball to ensure that both the literal and proverbial playing field continues to level for women. I also completely agree with Julie Morales' assessment of the 2021 Astros as an under-the-radar outfit who will cause many a surprise this year and that this team can go a long way. I look forward to seeing Julie on the broadcast throughout the season. We are very lucky to have her with the Astros and I hope that will continue to be the case for many more years to come. Now it's time for the prize draw to see who has won today's giveaway of the H-Town vs Everyone t-shirt from Apollo. You'll probably know the drill by now. I've noted all the social media handles of everybody who entered and assigned each of you with a number. Let's go right now to Google's random number generator with the number of total entrants set as a maximum to see who has won. And it is number seven who is at Nora something. That is actually your handle, at Nora something. Congratulations to you. You are the winner and will shortly be able to proudly wear that shirt wherever you go. Great stuff. That's all for episode 10. Please make sure you're following me on Twitter. That's at Astros Fans UK. Please also do so on Instagram as UK Astros Fans and on Facebook as George Martin with the Union Jack in Astros Colours as the display pick. If you have any Astros Across the Globe questions, you can also email me at AstrosFansUK at gmail.com. Please also make sure that you follow Apollo. That's at Apollo HOU on Twitter and Apollo HOU on Instagram. As you know, Apollo always have the very best interests of Houston and the people there at heart. Congratulations once again to all involved at Apollo and those who donated in helping to raise such an incredible amount for those affected by the winter storm. All Houston, all original. A massive thank you once again for listening to Strohs Across the Globe. Please subscribe, rate and review to help others find their way to this show as well. I simply can't do it without your excellent support. I look forward to having you all with me again soon with more plans in the pipeline. And remember, wherever you are across the globe, let's go Strohs.